Well, good morning. Good to, good to see you as we finally kind of wind through this sleepy July and uh, expecting the appearance of many of our traveling friends next week. And uh, so good to see families out and about and enjoying the, the weeks that they have, but also really good to, to have you with us this morning. Before we uh, look into God's word, I want to take a moment and welcome some special guests with us. If you've been a part of Grace Church over these years, you know that one of our longer-term partnerships has been with Freedom Firm in India that is uh, very committed to the whole journey of rescuing trafficked girls in India. Well, this weekend, the Freedom Firm USA board has been meeting here, doing their board meeting. Freedom Firm USA is the support arm, the development fundraising support arm of Freedom Firm India. And so we've been very glad to host them with us. And I think we have a couple of them with us today. And so if you are with the Freedom Firm USA board, would you stand and allow us just to welcome you and thank you for your, your, your faithful, faithful leadership with Freedom Firm over these years. We are so grateful for our relationship with Greg and Mala, Dave and Kathy, Freedom Firm going back many years. And uh, I enjoyed, I, years and years ago, I served on this team. And years ago, enjoyed my, my time and my relationship with Freedom Firm, and we enjoy that as a church family as well. So if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Psalm 63, and we will take a look at this wonderful psalm as a way of concluding our summer series. If you've been with us all, all summer, uh, we've been involved in, in what I've called a, a summer soul care uh, a time of resetting our, our souls in a, in a much needed way and orienting ourselves uh, around resting in the presence, the goodness, the greatness of God. And at times we just need a reset, a pause. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that this summer coming out of COVID felt like unlike uh, most other summers where normally summer reflected a change of pace and this year it was more just a return and a resetting to something. And so we thought it would be just healthy to reset our souls and taking a look at this psalm. And we've been looking at a, a number of psalms, and I want to give you some background to something. Um, when, when you and I read the psalms today, uh, we will often come to them. I, I suppose the best analogy would be it, it's like reading a type of poetry in the way they're written, and we, we engage the Psalms. Um, what we can fail to appreciate, however, in the richness of that, is that each of these Psalms was written in real time uh, as an author, and more, most often David, but David wasn't the only writer of the Psalms, but most often it was David. But as this writer was learning to rest in God's presence as they faced the challenging moments of their lives. These were real-time things that were being done. And, and so what you and I are actually reading when we read the Psalms is David's journal of his personal experience. Um, and what we're given in the Psalms is an insider perspective, an insider look at his walk with God and how he cared for his soul. And, and so it's a unique opportunity to kind of get out of our heads 
and, and step in to how other people have navigated life just like you and I are navigating life today. And I had this crazy thought this week. Um, imagine our personal journals being read by everyone in history and posterity. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that people would experience it quite like they experienced David's. But that's what we're reading as we engage the psalm. And this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 63. And I want to take a few moments, and I want, to, I want to kind of step back and give you the real time story that, that was behind the writing of this psalm and, and, and bring you into a place where I think it'll go, oh my gosh. And, and the psalm will take on such a richness. Well, well Old Testament scholars, um, pretty good consensus around this, that Psalm 61, 62, and 63 were written together. And they were written around the same incident in David's life. Um, now, if you have read the Old Testament, for those of you who have, I know many of you have not, or some of you have not, as great as David was as a king and writer, he was a detached, often absent father. And the scriptures have, have given us insight into the greatness and the profound brokenness and weakness of this man. And so as a result, when you look at David's life, his family experienced the consequence of his neglect as a father. In the midst of all the, the great things that were taking place in Israel and around Israel and with the temple and all that was taking place, there was this, this quiet thing that was going on with his family that over time didn't become much more public. Well, one of David's sons in particular, Absalom, had an especially difficult relationship with his father. And it was triggered by a particular event that set the relationship on course. And one of the sisters, one of Absalom's sister, Tamar, um, was sexually assaulted by a half-brother, Amnon. And Amnon, uh, Absalom, eventually killed Amnon a couple of years later. And anger simmered inside Absalom over that moment for years. And understandably so. Um, but here's what, here's what pivoted with Absalom and his relationship with his dad. Um, Tamar's assault by Amnon didn't impact David as deeply as Amnon's death. And so you go back and you read the story, and while David, we have no record of David grieving all that had taken place with Tamar, when, when Amnon was killed, David grieved it. And that, that moment... Um, uh, that moment ended up being a, a profound moment in their relationship. It, it hinged uh, their, their entire relationship. Hold on a second. I just lost my, 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 there we go. You love technology most of the time. But that moment, everything changed. And from that moment forward, the relationship between Absalom and David was estranged and it never recovered. And you, you begin to take a look at it. So Absalom, years later, 
I mean, he held this resentment for years. Uh, Driven by his resentment for his father, he led a carefully organized, carefully orchestrated conspiracy to publicly humiliate his father, have him removed as king, and he would replace him. And that, that conspiracy unfolded over four or five years. So this was just simmering, and, and it was producing a whole narrative in their family. Um, now, today, you and I read a story like that. And if we were talking about a family today, we would use words like David's family was a dysfunctional hot mess. And it was. But that's the beauty of the Psalms. Who in this room doesn't identify with the tensions, the hurts, and the broken relationships we all experience within our families? Who can't connect to that? See, we've all got our our unique stories, and and, and so you follow our families, you know, over the decades and over the years, um, hurts can deepen into a tangled family narrative that is complicated and difficult to untangle, resolve, or restore. And, and so years later, you, you seek to step back in and untangle it all. It's complicated and, and often difficult to restore. And, and tragically, similar family patterns are often repli- replicated within our spiritual family. And relationships are torn and hurt and, and resentment. Just, it's just, it's true, isn't it? So we all get that. And we understand that. Well, let's jump back into David's story. Well, when David learned about the conspiracy, and this is an interesting, an interesting little insight into what went on. Now, keep in mind, David is king. He, he possesses incredible resources around him. But when David learns about the conspiracy and how well orchestrated it was, David made the decision that the wise thing to do was for everyone's sake, for the sake of the kingdom, the sake of people, for everyone's sake, to surrender to Absalom's plans and leave Jerusalem. And so David and a large group of loyal friends and supporters... They left Jerusalem and they moved into the wilderness of Judah just east of the city. Um, And we we capture some of the emotion of that moment in 2 Samuel 15. Later, go back and read 2 Samuel 14 through 18. You get the whole story. But let me just just read a couple of verses and you get a feel for this. As David began to leave Jerusalem, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. And so you imagine this procession, people lining the village as as David and his procession left, people wept aloud. And the king also crossed the Kidron Valley and all the people moved on towards the wilderness. And as David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, his head was covered and he was barefoot. And all the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping up with him or weeping as as they went up. See, David was a broken man. Um, He had lost his family. He had lost his kingdom. 
And, and he was relegated to the caves in the wilderness to protect his life and the lives of the people he loved and led. Now, lest you, lest you see this as a defeated David, he was a broken David, but he wasn't a defeated. See, I, I believe this, this step was a step of real courage on David's part. That's, we, we don't see much of this in leaders today. But David surrendered his position and his influence for the sake of others. Now, he, he came to a conclusion that what was best for everyone, and so he, he, he stepped aside. That was when he wrote Psalm 61, 62, and 63, likely from the wilderness. Right at the moment of this profound brokenness, he, he writes this marvelous psalm and... And these three psalms allow us to experience what, what David was thinking as, as he was seeking to, to settle his soul. And in Psalm 63 becomes a fitting way for us to bring this soul care series to a conclusion. Because what we're going to see is a, a remarkable spiritual humility. A longing and a depth in the midst of really painful life circumstances. And I'm going to give you a phrase that's going to guide, going to guide us all the way through the psalm, and it's this, an inexhaustible confidence in the providence of God. An inexhaustible confidence in the providence of God that nothing could shake. Not even the loss of everything. Nothing could shake the confidence that David held on to. And this confidence of God is actually displayed in David's willingness to give up control of his life because he trusted God. And so, just using the language of our summer series, this is soul rest at its best. No better picture of what a soul at rest looks like than the picture we're going to look at uh, briefly in this psalm. And it explains why Psalm 63 became one of the most loved songs of worship in the Old Testament. It was used in worship. It was sung in worship um, because of what it, what it just awakened in people. And it has become one of the most treasured Old Testament psalms to followers of God, followers of Jesus today. And so we're going to walk through this psalm this morning in a more devotional way. I'm going to offer some perspective, um, but it might feel a little bit less instructional, and I want to experience it as it was written and intended. It's soul care. David is just pouring out his heart. So let's begin verse 1. David writes, you, God, you are my God. And, and what we see in David's affirmation is an unbending affirmation of the providence of God. And God is powerful. He's promise-keeping. He's present. He's personal. He's all of those things. And so our confidence in the providence of God is the anchor of our faith journey, the anchor of our faith. That is the rock that's got to be kind of firmly in place that God is personal, he's present, he's all-powerful, um, he's a promise-keeping God, and our confidence rests firmly there. Now, each and every day, each one of us is presented 
with moments. Opportunities to trust God in a way that we believe God is present with us in our moments to provide for us and protect us and to direct us and guide us. And more often than not, not unlike David, more often than not, our confidence is going to be displayed in our willingness to surrender our need to be in control of our lives. That's going to be the bottom line. And then he writes these words, so earnestly I I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Make a make a, a seems version, for example. Translate this phrase as early I seek for you. And, and, and it became the, the framing uh, throughout a large part of Christ, Christian tradition um, that the appropriate way to pray this was in the morning. And so Psalm 63 became a morning prayer, a way of, of beginning uh, your morning, a way of beginning your day, and, and really good advice. What better posture than to begin, God, today, I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. I long for you. A, a great way. Now, now, that being said, the Hebrew word here actually speaks more to intentionality than it does the time of day. And, and so later translations, I think correctly, now use the word earnestly. There's, a, there's an urgency, there's a, an intentionality, an immediacy that drives us, drives us to seek God's face. And, and, and to be clear, this is not the desperate groping of a stranger to God. Keep in mind, these are the longings of a close friend with God. David was, he experienced an intimacy with God. And yet, in the context of that friendship, David is longing, uh, longing for God's presence. And he uses phrases like, my whole being, uh, the Hebrew word is nephesh, my soul, my whole person longs for you. You know, I find that there are days, sometimes many days, that I come to God at the beginning of a day and my soul feels dry, weary, and empty. You ever, ever have that, that experience? <laughs> and just the circumstances, you know, seek, we're seeking to live out our faith in a world that doesn't respect it or value it, doesn't support it. In fact, most of our life just seems to, to suck the spiritual life right out of us. And we can find ourselves feeling arid and dry, like, like we're living in a land where there's no water, with very few things surrounding us that support our soul's deepest longings. What makes these dry moments sacred moments? And that's the beauty of the Psalms again. What makes these dry moments sacred moments is their unique ability to break through and break away our self-sufficiency and drive us to our deeper longings for God. And see, that's the beauty of of what begins to take place if we're seeking God's presence, circumstances kind of unraveling, and we're feeling dry, and it drives us to what is most true and what is most deep within us, and that's a longing for God. And David goes on, verse 2. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. 
And David begins to reflect. He had experienced God's power and glory. And even though God's power and glory were harder to see in the wilderness caves, uh, his memory of God's presence had served him well, would serve him well during this time of adversity. And and memory reorients us towards a posture of praise. And and then he says this remarkable thing in verse 3. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. A remarkable phrase. Um, because your love, the Hebrew word is hesed. Uh, God, because your loyalty, your faithfulness are more valuable to me than anything else this life offers. Your love is more valuable than the life we've worked so hard for or the life we've dreamed about. It's more valuable than financial stability and financial security. It's more valuable than the respect or recognition we receive or don't receive. It's more valuable than anything we accomplish or accumulate. It's more valuable than all the losses we grieve. And I I had this thought this morning how I long to say that with integrity. How deeply I long to be able to say, because your, your love I might, is, is better than life itself. What an aspiration. You know, that we live so deeply in the hesed, in the faithfulness of God. Um, our lips glorify you. So here's a question for you this morning. So when people interact with you day in and day out, and you think of your conversation as a, in, in a general rule, as a general rule, what do they hear from you? Um, do they hear our complaining about how hard life is? Or do they hear our praise for how good God is. And it becomes a barometer, an indicator of where our soul is. Uh, that we're, we're resting in the goodness, the hesed faithfulness of God. And he goes on in verse 4 I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And David says, Whatever brings life to me. And, and, and or whatever whatever life brings to me, and however long I'm asked to endure it, I'll praise you. My entire life is going to be lived out of this place of soul rest. Now, last week we began talking about something. I want to revisit it, and I suggested to you last week that our body tells us the truth about our soul. And we we looked at the negative side of that last week, that oftentimes our sleeplessness, our worry, our fatigue, these, these these emotions that we find swirling within us, they tell us the truth in spite of our words that our soul needs attention. We called it soul care. And, And they become indicators that our soul needs care. Well, there's a positive side of this reality as well. 
our bodies also reflect our soul in a place of rest. Now, sometimes that rest is things like a a calm, non-anxious presence. You know, you've heard me say that one of my daily prayers is that I want to live today from a place of deep joy, peacefulness, confidence, and courage. And so qualities like that, deep joy, peacefulness, confidence, and courage, whatever circumstances we're facing, as God produces those things in our lives, they become one of the positive expressions of, of, a, of a soul at rest that it's now being kind of displayed in our bodies. Well, David gives us another illustration, the lifting of our hands. Now, the lifting of our hands is a normal posture to express dependence upon God and praise to God. Um, wherever you look in the scriptures, Old and New Testament alike, it's the same posture that, that the lifting of hands is, a, is, a, is a, a, a bodily embodied display of our dependence upon God and our praise to God. Uh, for example, I just, I just pulled out a couple here. Uh, in another psalm, David wrote, to you, Lord, I call, you are my rock. You do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. Hear my cry for mercy. I call to you for help as I lift my hands towards your holy place. It's a prayer of dependence. Um, another, another place. I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like an evening sacrifice. Dependence and praise. Psalm 134. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who minister by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary among your worship time and, and praise the Lord. Or we could turn to 1 Timothy, which is I want the holy hands to be lifted up in prayer and, and, and we find it all throughout the scriptures. You see, the lifting of our hands engages our body. It engages our whole being, our whole person in dependence and humility. Now, a few years ago, a group of our staff belonged to a community up in Boston that we, we did, it was just an experience in spiritual formation. And on one particular day, as something that we were doing as a community, they wanted us to experience God in a variety of postures. And so they cleared out the room, and we all kind of had a lot of space in the room. And they walked us through a whole series of different physical postures. And for some of us who are pretty cerebral, this felt like, okay, I'm having to get out of my comfort zone here. And, 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 and they began us, we were all seated to begin with, and, and, and we, for a time, they just, just had us close our eyes and raise our hands and, and led us in a time of, of prayer and worship. Then we were asked to stand and just not, not speak a word, but just allow your body to display something. And I probably don't even have to describe what, what these begin to signify as we
as I visualize this, then I realize my bigger challenge is not getting down. <laughs> but here's, here's, here's what I want you to, to visualize and grasp. Too much of our spirituality is lived between our ears and our head. And we've, we've, we've reduced the spiritual journey to ideas we think. And we, we must learn to give expression and freedom to our dependence and praise to be displayed in our bodies. Yes, with internal realities like joy and peacefulness and confidence and courage. But, but also in, in more visible displays that engage our body. And so in your personal worship at home, I've learned in the mornings as I'm enjoying my time with the Lord in the mornings, I'm sitting on my porch in the quietness of the morning, just, just to pause and just to stop and just, just raise my hands or sometimes I'll get down on my knees. And there's something about engaging our whole being in worship or in public worship where we learn to abandon all self-consciousness and self-awareness and our desire just to enjoy God and express our dependence. Oh, let's go on. And then David kind of finished out the psalm with a series of just quick statements that reflected a soul at rest in God's presence. Verse five, great statements. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. David says, I am content with life with you, God. My soul, as satisfied as, as, as our body after a great meal. Now keep in mind when David is writing this. He said, I'm content. I'm fully satisfied. Everything is a wreck out there. And if you know the story, uh, uh, Absalom was actually sending out search groups looking to kill David. And yet David writes, my soul is satisfied. Um, it's, it's like our body after a great meal uh, and, and, and David just is, is, a, is a content with life. Full of sacrifice, yes. Full of struggle, yes. Full of suffering, yes. But there was no regret. There's no disappointment. A fulfilling and satisfying life with God. He, he goes on, verse 6, And on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. And, and David uses language to describe the times when our defenses are down and we are most vulnerable. The watches of the night were roughly midnight, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. And David says the watches of the night, which really are our metaphors for our vulnerability and our helplessness, even, even then I'm thinking of you and, and, and I can trust your providence you know, in my life. Verse 7, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And the shadow of your wings was one of David's favorite images for God's protection. It's found throughout the Psalms. One of those great pictures of God's protection. Uh, you might remember the great Psalm 90. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. 
He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Um, Safety. Security. Not in changing circumstances, but in the providence of God and resting there. You all know my love for the Lord of the Rings, and I I couldn't help but thinking of that one scene at the end of the trilogy where Frodo and Samwise uh, were stranded on the rocks of Mount Doom. It was exploding. The, The ring had been destroyed, and they were stranded on these rocks with no visible way of escape. Exhausted, helpless, It appeared that the end had come and three spectacular eagles locate them and scoop down upon the rocks and pick up Frodo and Samwise in their right talon and they fly away to safety. And you read and you discover that Tolkien set out to visualize this image. And that was the intent. That this, this marvelous image of God like a massive eagle just holding us and protecting us and bringing us to safety. Well, in the final verses, David finally expressed his confidence that God would deliver him. And remember I said earlier, he didn't begin here, but neither did he forget it. And now that he's kind of worked through all of the processing of of his confidence in God, he says, those who want to kill me will be destroyed. He's talking about Absalom. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become the food of jackals. And so while David, while living in apparent defeat and dishonor, he writes these words because he knew that in the end his enemies would ultimately be defeated and dishonored. And he held on to that that deep resident confidence in verse 11. But the king will rejoice in God. And all who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Now let's bring the story full circle with David. If you remember the story in 2 Samuel, Absalom was sending out search parties to seek David out and have him killed. And David was hiding in caves and his, his trusted men were protecting him. Eventually a large battle took place. And in a decisive battle, 20,000 people lost their lives, including Absalom. And you may remember the story. Um, Speaking of dishonor, he was caught in the tree by his hair and killed by Joab. Didn't even die in battle. And we we get yet another glimpse of David's heart, his soul rest, and the way he responded when he learned about Absalom's death. Here was this broken, estranged relationship. He had been publicly humiliated by Absalom. He had lost everything. This whole thing was going on. And then Absalom was king or was killed. And David writes this in Second Samuel. It's written about David in 2 Samuel 18. And David was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And as he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, oh, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Wow, does that give you insight 
into this man's heart. I would say a soul at rest. Where he didn't carry the resentment and the vindictiveness and the hurt and the anger with him. That even at this moment, he grieved the loss of his son. So I thought about how I would like to end this series. And I thought, you know, the only appropriate way to end is in the posture of Psalm 63. Declaring our unquestioned confidence in the presence of God in our lives. We entered this summer soul care series with a desire to reset our souls. And as we begin stepping back into life, as as life kind of returns back to some semblance of, can we even use the word normal again? Whatever it becomes as schools begin to go back and and companies are now inviting people back into the workplace and and, and as that begins to happen, what would it look like for us to re-enter our world with a soul at rest? As people who declare our unquestioned confidence in the providence of God. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to ask you all to stand. And if you're unable to stand, that's okay. Physically, you're, you're, if you need to stay seated, seated please stay, please, please have freedom to stay seated. Um, if you're able to stand, stand. If not, you can do everything I'm going to ask you to do standing. And, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask all of us just to raise our hands. And you can, you can raise your hands like this. You can raise your hands, whatever, whatever posture you are comfortable with. And we are going to just speak back Psalm 63 from this posture. And you can close your eyes. I'll read you a phrase. You say the phrase back. If you forget it, you'll see it up here. <laughs> so we'll help you. But here's the most important thing. I'd like you to make this or enter this as an expression of your confidence in the providence of God in your life. So let's, let's pray together and let's say together. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, 
I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me.